0: Our scripture focus this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Okay, how many of you went to the game yesterday? Raise your hand. Okay, you guys win. You win the prize today because you got home late and you're still at the 830 service. We got some college students right here. Kudos. Thank you for being here. Uh, Who tailgated yesterday? The same five people that went to the game? Okay, that's why the rest of you are here, because you're well-rested and you're ready to go this morning. I am glad you're here, because it wouldn't be nearly as fun if I was up here talking to empty chairs. So thank you for being here. Um, For the past two weeks, uh, we've been in this Grace and the Gridiron series. We've been using the terminology of football to talk about the deeper realities of faith. And this morning, we don't have a football term, but we have a quote that was actually made Famous, I guess, in his circles, by former Oakland Raiders coach Al Davis, "Just win, baby." That's the big, the big quote. Um, I didn't know anything about Al Davis, so I did a little research on him and read about him. He was, man, he was really able to inspire his players and inspire those who were around him. And I looked up some other quotes that he had said, and I found a couple of them. One was, um, "Don't adjust, just dominate." That'll inspire you. Just get out there and dominate. Don't worry about anything else. We don't take what the defense gives us. We take whatever we want. And I did adjust that because he had some extra uh, flowery language uh, In there, we take whatever we want. Um, But one thing is clear, when you read the things that Al Davis has said and kind of his attitude for um, how to get out there and win a football game, he wanted his players showing up to every game with one purpose in mind, to dominate and to get out there and, and be in each game ready to just take the win. Now, that's a great attitude to have in football. You are going to win a lot of games with that attitude. But what you see is that attitude spills over into culture a lot. And a lot of people approach life with that same kind of attitude. Just dominate. Just get out there and take what you want and just win. Make sure you're winning in life. But in a world that says winning is everything, Jesus said, Lose. He said, Deny yourself, take up your cross. Follow me, deny yourself, lose your life, and you'll find life. So in a world where success and winning are everything, how can it be that losing actually is winning? So that's the question that we're going to explore together this morning. So as we start, let's pray. Let's pray one more time. God, thank you for today. Thank you so much for everyone who's here and the privilege to gather in your presence To sit here at your feet, Lord, to to gaze upon you, to listen to your voice, to learn from you. And I do pray, Lord, that you will give us a bigger perspective. You will give us bigger vision. You will help us to, to know better how it means, what you call us to, to live this life in a way that really is winning. So speak to us this morning. We welcome you here. We are thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well as Deborah read for us, our scripture text is Matthew 16, 24 through 26, but we're going to back up a few verses so we can get our context there. Um, If you go back to verse 13, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, open them on up, but if you go back to verse 13, uh, you see Jesus having a conversation with his disciples and he's asking them, what do the other people? What are you overhearing? What do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the response was like, "Well, you know, some of them are saying you're maybe you're Elijah, or or maybe you're like another prophet, like Jeremiah, or something." And he says, "Well, who do you say that I am?" And so Peter pipes up because he was like the spokesperson for the twelve, and he says, "Well, well, you're the Messiah." You're the son of the living God. And and see, what was happening was that they believed Jesus was the Messiah, which meant he was the anointed king. He was the one sent by God who was going to deliver Israel from their bondage. Well, what kind of bondage? Well, from an oppressive Roman government, for one thing. Um, See, Israel was no longer a powerful nation, and they hadn't been for generations. But according to their scriptures, which is our Old Testament, God was going to send his Messiah. He was going to send his anointed king to rescue and deliver his people. And their understanding of what this anointed king would be like was that he would be a warrior king. And he would set up his kingdom on earth and he would establish Israel's freedom. And he would sit on his throne in the temple. And then Israel, God's chosen people, would finally win. They would win. So when Peter makes this great statement about who he believes Jesus is, the natural next move in Jesus' mind, I mean, in Peter's mind, would be to, to make a strategy for winning this thing. I mean, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the anointed one sent by God, the first thing they've got to do is they've got to figure out how to get rid of the present kings and priests who are ruling Israel or actually who were misruling Israel. And so maybe at this point, you know, Peter's got this picture in his mind of all of them huddling up like a football team, they're in their huddle and they're working out their game plan. They're working out their strategy. And he's like, all right, look, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna march on Jerusalem. We're gonna pick up a few followers along the way. Then Jesus is gonna choose his moment. We'll run a blitz play with a surprise battle that nobody is expecting. We're gonna take over the temple and then Jesus will be installed as king. And then all the disciples like chest bump and they grunt and they spit a little bit. And they're, yeah, they're excited. It's a winning strategy right there. But what actually happens in scripture, there is no chest bumping, there is no grunting, there is no marching on Jerusalem. What actually happens is Jesus speaking up and Jesus gives his game plan for what really is going to happen. His game plan for winning, he, his game plan for establishing himself as king and bringing God's kingdom, and it looks a lot different from what anybody else expected, much less what they could have comprehended. His plan is this. Yes, we'll be going to Jerusalem. Yes, the kingdom of God is coming. Yes, I will be exalted as king, but the way to this kingdom... It's pretty much the exact opposite of what you have in mind. The way to God's kingdom is through suffering and death. My suffering and death. I will confront the rulers and the religious authorities, the chief priests, the legal experts in Jerusalem. And when I do, it's going to lead to my death. And it's going to appear as if they have won. And I have lost. But on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. Now I think it's interesting that what we see next is Peter making no acknowledgement at all that Jesus just said that he would be raised from the dead. And I think that makes sense because Peter had no context for anything like that. He wouldn't have understood what he could have been talking about there. He just thinks that everything Jesus is saying is crazy talk. He just skips right on over that hole being raised from the dead part. It's crazy to him. To Peter, that is not a plan. That is not winning. Jesus, dying is losing. You don't win if you die. And then he rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus says back to Peter, Peter, no, you're the one who's not thinking right. You are looking at this from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. Like, Peter, I know this runs counter to your logic. I know that this does not seem like a winning strategy to you. But remember, God thinks differently than you think. In fact, God sees everything differently than you see it. And if you want to gain life, if you want to win at life, then you've got to start looking at things from God's perspective. And then Jesus turns to everybody else who is following him, and he says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, yet forfeit their life? Or what can they give? in return for their life. I mean, it's so backwards from the way we think. But it's true, the way to winning is losing. The way to living is dying. So King Solomon. King Solomon was a guy who, according to every worldly standard, won at life. He was the wisest and wealthiest king the world at that time had ever seen. I mean, in his quest... To discover what really gave life meaning, he availed himself of everything the world had to offer. He sought fulfillment and purpose in life by denying himself nothing. He had success, he had power, he had wealth, he had women. I mean, if Twitter had been around when King Solomon was king, he would have been the one who came up with the hashtag winning. Just got a camel load of gold today, hashtag winning. Ooh, just got married today again. Hashtag winning. I mean, he was a guy who had it all. He was winning at life. And you know what? He had everything he wanted and more. And you know what his conclusion was? When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained. Under the sun. Generations later, a man we know from the New Testament uh, named Paul would say this about his former life as a very successful religious leader. Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss. Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss. Now, what would bring to very successful men who, according to the world standard, had it all to say that everything they had gained all the success all the education all the wisdom power authority the high regard from the people around them was all meaningless that they regarded it as loss well for solomon it was a realization that nothing on this earth can satisfy our deepest truest need Only God can satisfy. Only God can bring the fulfillment we crave and we desire so desperately. And here's what Paul said about why he regarded all of his former success and all of his gain as loss. Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss. Because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What he discovered was that the greatest, most fulfilling The truest life was found through knowing Christ and living life embodying the same values that Christ embodied. And in comparison to that, anything else in this world he could gain just looked like trash. It looked like garbage. That's what Christ was trying to teach his disciples that life is not found nor is it secured by the things this world offers because when you die those temporary things are lost to you so if you have built your your life on those very temporary things then when you die you lose Your life, but if you deny yourself, if you do not build your life on and seek your worth and value from the world standard, but instead daily choose to take up your cross in other words, daily make the choice to embody in your life the same values that Christ embodied loving God and placing His will above your will, loving others. And putting the interests of others above your self-interest, values that are eternal. If you make Christ and those values your focus, then you will find life. It's what Jennifer was talking about with that couple who said, you know what, we're going to take what we have and we're going to give to other people. I am not going to focus my life's energy on gaining, gaining, gaining just for me. I'm going to find some purpose and meaning by doing what Christ did. I'm going to give myself away. I'm going to serve in love in grace. And I'm going to find fulfillment in my life when I live like that. I put others before myself. I don't think about myself first. What Peter needed, and this is what we all need, and what is essential to being a follower of Christ was a bigger vision. A bigger vision, one that went above and beyond his small understanding of what a winning life looked like. He had to let go of his preconceived notions and what his world around him taught him about what a winning life looked like. He had to lose that in order to gain God's bigger vision because there is so much more to life than what we can gain from this world. So much more. And no amount, listen, no amount of gaining our small vision is going to bring us any contentment or will make us feel whole or complete. So how can we recognize if we are living with that that short-sighted or that small vision or a worldly vision of, of what a winning life looks like? Well, here's some questions we can ask ourselves first. Do I experience a persistent lack of contentment? Do I experience a persistent lack of contentment? Do you find yourself thinking things like, you know, if I had that job or maybe if I got that promotion or... Maybe if I just lived in a different city or I had a different house. Maybe if I was married. Oh, if I was single. Maybe if I had children. Or or maybe if I was older. Or maybe if I was younger. If you find yourself constantly or consistently searching for something more or to do something different so that you can finally then feel settled and satisfied or like you have worth or that your life has purpose, check in with God on that. Check in with God on that and see if there is something that he would teach you about your focus and your search for meaning in your life because here's something I have learned and am learning is true. I can't be content in the life I have before me right now If I can't be content in the life I have before me right now, I am probably not going to be content in the life I have dreamed up in my mind. Do you hear that? If I cannot be content in this life I have before me right now, I will probably not be content in the one I have dreamed up in my mind. And look, contentment is not dependent upon your circumstances. The contentment I'm talking about it's not about whether you like your job or not. It's deeper than that. Its root is found in knowing that in Christ, you will have your desires met. You will find true joy. You will find true satisfaction. You will find true peace. That is where contentment is found. And that's why it's possible Like for people who don't even have a lot to be able to find contentment in their life. Because contentment is not found in those material or worldly things anyway. So when you're searching for contentment in the things of this world, the grass is always going to be greener on the other side. Until you get to the other side. And then you're going to be looking for greener grass somewhere else. The contentment that Christ brings cannot be found in the things of this world. I, I like what C.S. Lewis said about this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find in myself a desire which no Uh, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Second question is this. How much do the opinions of others impact how I live? How much do the opinions of others impact how I live? Christ valued the opinion and the will of God the Father above anyone else's. And that's how he could live such a sacrificial life for us. Because he wasn't putting himself first and trying to gain anything from this world. He wasn't depending on the world to make him whole. He had the bigger vision. He had the bigger vision and he understood what made life meaningful and valuable. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I placing more value on what God thinks or on what others think? Now look, that's not to say that you shouldn't have wise people in your life or that you shouldn't receive feedback from other people. It means that you seek God's wisdom and you strive to live according to his values above any worldly values or above anybody else's opinion. You know, even even Al Davis wanted his team playing each game with a bigger vision in mind. I found this other quote from him. He said, we want to win. The Raider fans deserve it. The Raider players deserve it. Even my organization deserves it. You have to win, but listen to this, and you have to win with a vision for the Super Bowl. That's our passion here. He didn't want his players focused only on one game. He wanted them playing each game with the bigger prize in mind. You come into this game right now, but you're not just winning this game. You're looking for something else. And look, as followers of Christ, if we want to win. We want to win this life. We want to do this life well. We just need to live this life with the bigger prize in mind, with the bigger vision in mind, because the reality is this world is not our home try to make ourselves so comfortable here we try to make our little place carve out our little place and it's just this is not our home this is not where we're landing it it make it matters how we live this life it matters but this world is not our home there is a future awaiting us a life that is the one we were made for and so we live this life with that end in mind and the way to finding that life is by following Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You try to save your life. Try to hang on to it here. You're going to lose it. You can't hang on to the things here. But if you will lose your life, let go of Of everything you're trying to hang on here. Then you will save it. You will find it. What's it going to profit you? If you gain this whole world. Great. But then you lose your life. What are you going to give? What are you going to trade up? To replace your life. If you want to read more of how to find some true contentment in this life, I encourage you to read Philippians because the Apostle Paul got it. He got it. You read that and you will hear a man who has figured out that it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have. In Christ, I have all I need. I pray that we will find that and that we will find that true contentment And that true peace that Christ offers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and your encouragement to us today. Lord, this is hard for us. There are so many shiny, pretty, awesome things in this world that we just want to cling to. Lord, we find it sometimes hard to feel like we have worth or value Because when we see other people with more than we have or a life that we desire, Lord, it's hard to not compare ourselves. Father, I pray, though, that you will speak your sweet voice over us, your words of truth over our heads, and remind us how valuable we are to you. And remind us of the life, the true life, the real life that you have to offer us and to give us and to lavish on us. And that, Lord, we would not settle for anything less than that. Remind us, God, that this world is just a taste of the goodness that you have for us, that we are to enjoy this world, we are to enjoy this life, but we are not to find our fulfillment in it. Lord, be our fulfillment, be our contentment, be our satisfaction, be our first love. And by your grace, help us to have that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.